Welcome to the 11 Dubcast presented by Safe Flight Auto Glass. Keep the drive going with Safe Flight. My friend Johnny Ginter, I am merely Bo Bishop, my good friend. It is game week in Ohio. Yes. All is right with the world, is it not? There's a Christmas in the air. We're even getting the weather <laughs> to cooperate a little bit with us, a little right. bit of rain. Uh, the Bucks open on a Thursday night against Indiana. It is game week. Welcome, my friend. Yeah, I'm excited. I, I'm not super excited about a Thursday game. I am, however, extremely excited about football in general. Um, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I love that they're opening at night. I love the fact that there's actually like an excitement level to the first game of the season rather than like kind of trying to ease you in for three weeks. Um, so I, I'm, I think it'll be fun. I think it'll be a lot of fun. So the reason you're not probably into a Thursday night game is because you're a school teacher and because I have right. children who are very small and I'm going to have to get up and I'm going to be exhausted. Uh, yes. But if, you, if we can separate our own personal biases on this, um, this is a beautiful thing. And this is something that I called for when I was in Columbus because I would watch year in and year out as the SEC would hog the opening weekend in college football with South mm -hmm. Carolina against North Carolina or South Carolina against Texas. It was always South Carolina. They've been in Columbia like every year for 10 years, it seemed like. And I kept watching and going, gosh, this is the one weekend without the NFL where you can own it. Like Labor Day weekend is college football. You own it. And, and you kind of got lost in the mix playing like a noon game against Akron or wh whoever they may have played. It's some Mac team or some nondescript opponent playing a, a noon game at the shoe. So to play in primetime, to get the full game day buildup, it just was a natural, and I'm glad Ohio State is in the mix. The depth chart was released this week, uh, the first official depth chart of the season. And there, there are a lot of things of interest to me, but I'm going to do positive first, my man, because I'm, a, I'm an optimistic guy. I'm glasses half full. So okay. what, what's stunning to me is how comfortable I am with this defense, right? I mean, it's just, I just am so comfortable with it. And what, what jumps out to me is there are four oars starters on the defense. So, right, only 11 guys can start, but really they've probably got about 16 to 17, 18 starters on defense. So the oars are at both defensive end spots, Taekwon Lewis, Nick Bosa, that's an oar, and then right. Sam Hubbard and Jalen Holmes, that's an oar. All four of those guys could be first-round NFL picks, right? No hyperbole, no, no overstatement. All four could be first-round picks. Chase Young does make the three deep at one of the defensive ends wearing that number two. That's something we've paid attention to. Uh, in the middle will be Tracy Sprinkle and Draymond Jones. You've seen the depth chart, but the oars are the things I'm bringing your attention to. Also in the secondary, uh, at one of the safety spots, Jordan Fuller and Eric Smith. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. The sophomore kind of with ahead of, of Smith on the official depth chart. They listed as an oar, but his name is first. And then at cornerback, Damon Arnett or Kendall Sheffield. So the newcomer. Uh, hasn't been impressive early, and he's getting that or start opposite Arnett. The the cool thing about it off defensively is that I have a ton of confidence in all of those ors, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. I mean, especially on the defensive line. I mean, they're so ridiculously deep on the defensive line that, you know, you go even to the three deep and look at guys that could easily contribute. Um, and that's great because if you can keep rotating guys, it, it's really, really hard to wear down. Uh, a defense in the running game if, if they can keep bringing dudes at you uh, to, to tackle like, you know, some of these huge running backs that Ohio State might see later on in the year. So I think that's awesome. I'm really excited about that. I have a lot of confidence in the cornerbacks. Um, I think especially Denzel Ward, of course, is going to be really good. Um, defensively, they, they're set. I mean, this is about as good as a defense as you could ask for, especially given, you know, all that they lost and, and the way they had to shuffle some guys around. And, I mean, it also sets up really well for the future because you've, you've got some seniors, you've got some older guys on the defense, but, man, there's a ton of depth there, and they're young. They're sophomores, they're freshmen. So all of that bodes well for the future. And I think if there was any worry about maybe, like, you know, a thing towards the end of Trestle's tenure where you kind of saw the drop-off, you know, after the guys who mm -hmm. were juniors and seniors, that doesn't seem to be happening at all on the defense. Like, it's they, they look really solid young old whatever they're doing great so i'm, I'm pumped I mean, for that and of course the linebackers look you know like they are yeah. they're gonna be just all good. you know all world so i'm excited about that yeah to me it's alabama um it's what alabama's yeah. done with saban saban right. had a head start on urban but it's alabama like you know no matter who leaves the next guy's up or just as good um that's what urban's done they've done it on defense and they're loaded up conversely if your glass is half empty i go to the offensive side and <laughs> um and the thing that jumps out to me is the oars at receiver. And I know one of the right. big 
conversations this spring has been that they have moved, improved leaps and bounds, right? That the receivers are ready to go. The reality is that all these guys are four-star guys. None of them have done anything on the field that would justify your confidence in them going in to Thursday night. Every single one of them has to prove it. The name these are they have there's three ors in the in the receivers. You got Paris Campbell and KJ Hill at the at the H back, Austin Mack, Benjamin Victor at one receiver, Johnny Dixon, Terry McLaurin at the other receiver. Um, Urban Meyer said, and we ran this on the television show today. Urban Meyer said, we feel like we have six receivers. And I brought this up to Zach and I said, it reminds me of when a coach says we've got two quarterbacks and they don't really have any. I worry that six receivers means you don't have any. That's the negative side of it. The positive side of it, the glasses half full approach would be this is wide open for somebody to step up and separate and they'll get their first chance on Thursday night against the Hoosiers. Yeah, I mean, physically, it's it's kind of good to see these guys be able to match up against the Hoosiers because you've got a fairly large wide receiving core. A lot of these guys are over six feet. I mean, Ben Victor's like, what, like 6'3", six, 6'4". Six, like, he's a big dude. And I think if you want to get them confidence and give them opportunities to just shine athletically and kind of show that mismatch against you know, an Indiana team that probably won't be able to match up that great against them, uh, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, wide receivers on cornerbacks, I think this is a good way to do it. I mean, you can take some shots downfield. You can do some things that you really didn't do a whole lot of last year. So if you can establish that and then maybe, you know, see some guys who can give you something that you really didn't have, in 2016, then I think that's going to be a big positive. Um, some of these guys have been making, you know, a pretty big push towards the end of camp. I know a lot of people have been talking about Austin Mack a lot and what he's been able to do. And I think that's that's important. You want a guy who can kind of step up and be a leader for that group. I mean, I think you would hope that would be a guy like Johnny Dixon or Paris Campbell. But I think at this point, they'll take whatever they can get. If a guy steps up and he, you know, he can do a Noah Brown against Oklahoma performance and then maybe continue that for the rest of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'll, build on it. it doesn't matter if it's KJ Hill or Terry McLaurin. They don't give a crap. They'll they'll take the dude who can do that. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, somebody's ready to. Somebody's got to step up. So we're you're gonna get your first look. So when yeah. I think about the amount of things I'm excited for, that's at the top of the list. Who's ready to to get their seat at the table? Uh, we mentioned this last week. Nine captains for Ohio State, but we ran a, a bite from from Sam Hubbard today uh, about JT, and uh, Sam said he's the captain of the captains. Mm-hmm. Um, the, JT Barrett is the unquestioned leader of this football team. Um, we've talked a lot about this is the JT Barrett referendum season, all eyes on him. Is he ready to, you think about the pendulum swing of his legacy from, I mean, honestly, like you could be a top five player in Ohio state history to, you could be somebody who they want to see Dwayne Haskins by week three. I mean, that's, that's a crazy <laughs> swing, right? right? I mean, but that's kind of, Look, he knew what he was signing up for. I think he can handle the pressure. The coaches have complete confidence in him. Um, but this will go down, as we set up the 128th year of Ohio State football, this will go down as the JT Barrett season. Simple as that. It might not be fair, um, but that's the way life is sometimes, not fair. And it's a lot of pressure on him, but he's a four-year starter and a three-year captain, and I just have a feeling he's ready for it. Now, is everybody else ready to help him out? Those are the questions that are going to get answered over the course of the season. Um, but I think when you look back on this season, my friend, you'll remember what 16 did or didn't do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, I think it's fair. I mean, when you're at this point in your career with JT Barrett and you've kind of done the things that he's done and you've shown the things that he's capable of, I don't think as a senior it's really unfair to expect those kind of things, especially when you've got when you've got this ridiculous offensive line in front of you, which granted may not be the best offensive line in the country, but you've got so much size, so many people who can help you out in general. Um, I, I, it is going to be on him. I mean, he doesn't have a ton of talent in the skill positions, but he's got enough to the point where he can make them better by himself being that great. And, you know, I think, you know, we've talked about this a lot, that it's a referendum on his overall career. And it has to be because it's the last thing that people are going to remember of him, right? Like he doesn't really yeah. have another shot as an Ohio State Buckeye no. to make it up. So this is it. And people are, you know, college football and any sport is is about what have you done for me lately? And this is as lately as it's going to get. So, yeah, I think that's fair. I think he's going to perform well. I mean, the, he's a confident dude and it's clearly his team. And I think everybody looks to him. And he was, again, you know, I talked about this last week. He was underwhelming in some ways last year, but he was still extremely consistent. And I think as long as he just elevates his game just a little bit and keeps that consistency, then he's going to have a great year. 
All right, still to come on the Dubcast, we will be joined by former Buckeye great Evan Spencer. So you have that to look forward to, which is nice. We'll do our big game preview with our three things to watch for. Coming up next, we're going to go around the Big Ten and around the nation. And what in the heck is Michigan wearing against Florida? <laughs> we we will get to all of that. But before we do any of that, we want to welcome SafeLight as our title sponsor. With great pride, we do this. You may not realize this, but SafeLight Auto Glass is a local giant of a company based right here in Ohio, specifically in Columbus. Over the last 70 years, SafeLight has established itself as an industry leader in auto glass repair and replacement. SafeLight is a huge part of the Central Ohio community. You've probably noticed the field goal net at the shoe. You have likely heard the catchy jingle. I know I hear it all the time (laughs) on the radio or seen their text driving around town. Guys, there was one at my house six months ago. It was a flawless experience. I'll tell you about it in future dubcasts, but really cannot recommend them highly enough. And most importantly, if you are traveling to Bloomington, they are your road trip partner should anything go wrong. We are thrilled to have them aboard. Many companies have asked. We are very choosy and specific about this partnership with SafeLight. So welcome, SafeLight. Thrilled to have you aboard the Dubcast. Yeah, absolutely. I'm 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 really pumped. And I will say, like, you know, if you get a chip in that windshield, anything like that happens, I mean, don't wait. Get it taken care of. You know, that's hmm. that's important for safety. I did, and they did. I mean, yeah. and we'll, I'll talk about it later on in, in, in future Dubcasts. I, I'm a, I am a customer and, and can't recommend it high enough. So we're really appreciative of them uh, coming on board and excited to have them on uh, Safe Light Auto Glass. Good stuff there. All right, let's go around the nation, my friend. We do it, and we, there's really there's one game that the whole country is going to watch, and that's Florida State against Alabama. You know, when you're at Ohio State, you kind of have eyes on what else is going around the country, and this is one that has great interest to me. I think there's probably seven or eight game teams in the country that can win a national championship, and both of those teams can do it. And yep. no matter what happens uh, on Saturday night, they both can still do it, right? I mean, they have they both have ambitious enough schedules they could get back into the Final Four. Uh, but this is interesting. We've never had a number one versus number three in week one. The, the, those two highly ranked teams in week one. So my entire attention Saturday night will be on that one. Oh yeah. I mean, absolutely. Especially with Ohio state being on Thursday. I mean, that's, that's the game. And I'm kind of, I'm actually a little surprised that we've never had something like that. I think it's kind of a, you know, kind yeah. of crazy that it's taken this long to kind of get to that. But I think that says a lot about where television is at and what they're trying to do in terms of marketing. But to your point, and this is the the thing I was going to say about, it, I totally agree. I don't think this impacts either teams. No. Uh, national championship hopes depending on how it turns out i think as long as it's a close game and one team doesn't get completely blown out i don't think it does anything except just create excitement around these teams if they can show something even even in a loss if you can do something really cool or have a unit or a player that does really really well that's going to help you out maybe in the long run because then they're like especially if the other team ends up going undefeated if alabama yeah beats Florida State and then runs the table, right? And then Florida State yes. runs the table after that. That's only going to help them. That's not going to necessarily hurt them. That's the best thing beyond a win that they could possibly have. So Yeah, absolutely. Um, a couple other, you know, the, the quarterbacks are interesting. Jalen Hurts, DeAndre, DeAndre Francois, the two quarterbacks, uh, both in their second year as starters, both started as freshmen. Look forward to seeing what they did a little bit, see if they're ready to compete. There's a kid named Jer- Derwin James who plays in the secondary for Florida State who's a lock te- top 10 NFL pick if he can stay healthy. He is a special talent. So if you're a Bengals or Browns fan, you're going to be picking high. Uh, <laughs> keep an eye on him. There's a lot of NFL talent in that game. Um, if you are a Browns fan, you may be looking at quarterback, depending on what Kaiser does. A game to watch would be Wyoming against Iowa. So North Dakota State in 2016, just a year ago, goes to Iowa and wins. That was Craig Bowles' program that he built. He wasn't right. the coach at NDSU at the time, but he built the program into being a 1AA powerhouse. He's the head coach at Wyoming. Josh Allen is potentially a top five pick in the NFL draft. To me, it's upset alert big time for Iowa in that game. I could absolutely see Wyoming going in there and Allen spinning it around and, and them shocking the world and, and beating the Hawkeyes at Iowa in, in week one. Yeah, I mean, when you've got talent, especially you know talent that maybe people haven't scouted that much or maybe feel a little over, you know, overconfident about and then you've got a coach in Kirk Ferentz who I don't think is going to get super creative in the first game of the season whatever <laughs> or any game stop. of any season I don't think it's going to get super creative <laughs> yeah so so I think if you take chances and then you let your talent do what it does and then maybe they don't you know handle that very well and they're not prepared absolutely you can go into Iowa and make some noise and, and you know get the upset because that's not I think that could be a really, really interesting and fun game to watch. And Wyoming has, you know, 
a little bit of a history of kind of having some fun teams and, and some interesting guys out there. So I would be, I would not be shocked by that. I also really want to watch it. Cause I just love the idea of these, you know, two teams who basically live in this barren wasteland just kind of coming together and, you know, beating the crap out of each other. So how dare you call really Wyoming cool. a barren wasteland? That's my <laughs> southern neighbor of Montana. What the, what the heck are you talking about, man? I, mean, you gotta, I gotta get you out, you gotta get out to Grand Teton. Get out to Yellowstone a little bit. Yeah. No, I told I'm, you you'd flourish out there. I don't know what the heck I the think, problem is. I would really honestly like I really would like to get out there sometime. My 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 dad has a lot of great stories about, you know, being in the back of his dad's truck and driving on yeah. out there. So yeah, I think you'd do very well there. Um we I'll also keep an eye on Herman first game at Texas. Obviously enormous real life consequences in the state of Texas going on right now. And boy, right. talk about how do you try to compartmentalize, you know, a natural disaster like what, what has happened in, in the Houston area um, and try to compartmentalize and play a football game. But um, he opens his Texas tenure against Maryland this weekend. So I'll be interested in that. Um, one thing we will do every week in this segment is the Michigan minute. Uh, yes. So Urban does it. So so are we. We're going to spend a minute every week talking about something that's going on with Michigan. Could be good. Could be bad. This week, Michigan opens with Florida. I am fascinated to see what Michigan is after losing all of those guys. These are Harbaugh's guys now who are there. Many of these recruits are guys he recruited. Many of the guys are going to play guys he recruited. Um, he has, and I can say this, I feel pretty unequivocally, he has not had one misstep in branding since he's been at Michigan. Would you agree? <laughs> and up until this point, Yes. He has crushed it, right? Yeah, from, from, up until this from point, the, I mean, from meeting the, the glasses, and Michael Jordan the, involved and all that oh, stuff. I mean, that's great. The that's Woody glasses, the bow hat, the white on white at home, the traditional maze over blue on the road. They get Nike involved. They get the colors right. They get the true maize and blue back. Um, everything has been flawless. Who's got it better than us? All of it. Like if you're Michigan, you eating everything he's feeding you with both hands, you're just shoveling it into your mouth. You're taking it all. And then. <laughs> He does this. And yeah. I don't know how this happened. I have no idea how they decided to wear an all maze uniform. I, <laughs> I can't even, I cannot imagine the pitch meeting. I don't know who in the hell thought it was a good idea to do it. Um, Florida and Michigan have, they've played a lot and they look great when they play in their traditional uniforms. Both of them have instantly recognizable uniforms, certainly Michigan. And so for Florida's going to wear this all blue with a white hat, which it's not their, them traditionally at all. And then right. Michigan's going to wear this all maze get up. I just, how does this happen? I mean, I think how does Adidas, this happen? I think it's an Adidas false flag operation where they like. In, you think like, Adidas is <laughs> coming back Where they revenge? like infiltrated Nike and they're like, ah, oh, screw wow. you guys. And that's what they did. They, they pulled the trigger and now they look like they're covered in, in pee. And then that's just, you know, that's going to be their how look. I, you know what? Happen? As bad as this looks like in and you know twitter photos and all this other stuff i think it's actually going to worse on television oh, because now you're going to have oh, high def well, and it's going to contrast against the green it's going to be really bad it's going to look going to look like west virginia i mean west virginia yeah. looks like this they do this sometimes where they all yellow i mean they, that's kind of their look so i mean it's even undignified in that sense in that you're emulating west virginia yeah it's it's <laughs> i don't i don't know why you pick that bad. i don't know what the thought process is i just know that it's really bad and it's going to be really funny and you know what? You know, Michigan's returning six starters, which is almost nobody. And then, of course, mm -hmm. Florida suspended seven dudes. So it, it right. may not even be that great of a game. Like, it, it, it's one thing if this is like a shootout and it's really fun to watch, people aren't going to remember what, you know, jerseys they were wearing next week. They're like, all right, cool. There was a cool win. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. But if this game sucks, like, they're going to hear about this until their next opportunity to actually beat somebody interesting because it's going to be, they're going to be a laughing stock. Like, it's such a, high risk low reward situation to put yourself <laughs> in that situation of ridicule because i know i will like if they lose and i'm gonna come yeah. out on monday with my little like threat level michigan thing i'm just gonna like rag on them <laughs> for about 500 words and then just like that publish button and i'm gonna wait for the retweets and everything else to come in because people are gonna want to just rip them apart after that yeah. they better win this game well, I'm rooting for them. I'm one of the guys who, who it's good for us to have a good Michigan. So I want Michigan to win. I hope they beat Florida's butt. It's good for right. the league. Um, and I, I think they will. I think Harbaugh's a great coach and I think they'll be prepared and I think they'll just kind of strangle the game away. Um, I think that'll kind of be the approach for it. But um, boy, just a huge misstep when, when you think about wearing all maids and whoever the heck thought that was a good idea. Uh, still to come, we will give you our big game preview with the three things we will be watching for for Ohio State at Indiana. 
also going to talk a little Thrones. We've been doing it all all summer, so we'll we'll review the finale at the <laughs> yeah, very end to. of the show. Yeah, so we got to do that. So we'll do that. Uh, before we do that, though, I want to remind you to be sure to visit 11 Warriors Dry Goods for shirts, hats, stickers, and more, drygoods.11warriors.com. Uh, I understand from the czar there is new merch that is in the in the works. Oh, yes. I've seen it. It's great. Okay. And, and you know okay, what? Great. I'm not going to I'm not going to reveal anything, but we do stick it to a very particular state, not not Michigan, it. but another state oh. and who completely deserves it. And I'm okay. very excited about it. So it's great. It's oh, really I cool. love when we wage war. I think that's great. I, the greatest I, I, I go on the record. I wear the uh, I wear the Sherman shirt at the condo, probably up at the lake, maybe two or three times a year. And Excellent. I probably get I probably get a dozen nice shirts nice. every time i wear it good yeah. and i always good. appreciate Better the people that. who are excited about no, they know who it is and they get it you know because a lot of people will just look at it like glossy-eyed and i think well we don't need to talk if you don't know who it is and you don't get it you and i don't need to converse you know like, <laughs> you don't have a certain handle on that uh yeah. there, there's just no reason all right coming up next we visit with evan spencer former buckeye receiver stick around as promised, we are welcomed now by former Buckeye great receiver Evan Spencer. And uh, buddy, first of all, thank you for taking the time. And I, I know you, you think about when you when you put on that scarlet and gray and what it means. Um, can you take me back to 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 the, the last time you put it on? And and when you put it on that last time, did you realize you know what it would mean to take it off and never be able to again? I mean, absolutely. I, I feel like all of those feelings were magnified given that we were playing for a national championship. <laughs> and being able to put it on that last time, it, it, it definitely was a memorable moment. I'd say another one would be my senior day. Uh, being able to kiss the ground, walking out of the, the, the shoe, coming out of the tunnel was pretty special. But, you know, we're putting that jersey on for the last time. It, it's a special moment. And, you know, thank the Lord we got to finish it the way that we wanted to. And, uh, you know, we ended up with the W. <laughs> Can you, with your personal history, you, you, know, I mean, you know the history of Ohio State, you know what national championships mean. I mean, you know, yeah. that's something, man. I mean, did, in, in your wildest dreams, when you, when you decide to commit and to sign, uh, is, is that the way that you possibly dare to dream it'll end up? And then, and then beyond that, do you have more of an appreciation for what was accomplished now that you're out of it? Because I've never seen anything like what you guys did the last three, three games of that season. I mean, Cardell, oh, thrown well, into man. that, you go, to, you go to New Orleans and beat Bama? Like, nobody does that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I will say this. I mean, you know, given that I was able to see the, the O2 team win the national championship, I mean, shoot, I'm pretty sure I rushed the field then too. Uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, being able to see that at a young age and just being able to see like college football at its finest and, you know, being able to get to the peak of, you know, all of the 162 teams, I believe that, you know, that, uh, that compete for that title every year was special. And then once I got the chance to develop my career and develop my skill set, and I started to get a couple offers and then decided to come to Ohio State, you know, all focus from the time that I stepped on campus and when I stepped between those lines was to win football games. And, you know, at the end of the day, that's all towards the goal of winning a national championship. And to be able to say that we did that is, I mean, I still can't even press, you know, get anywhere close to, you know, what we really did. I mean, I still talk to a lot of my buddies that we played with and that I grew up with really here on campus. And, you know, we all still can't believe it. Like we were the best football team that year that could be, could, that could have been put together. And, you know, that's uh, it's a really special thing to say, definitely. And, uh, you know, given that I'm only 24, I mean, you know, I still got the rest of my life ahead of me. So it's, uh, it's going to be a, a great ride. Well, one of the things that, you know, we've been talking about a little bit is the kind of leadership and the kind of ability that kind of takes to get there. And we've been talking about how this is maybe JT's big opportunity this season to kind of prove once and for all, like his greatness to Ohio State fans and everybody, you know, throughout history and whatnot. And mm -hmm. to you, I mean, what kind of qualities did you see both maybe in that team and then maybe in JT and some of these other uh, players who are going to be really important this year that might get them to that point at the end of this season? Leadership, man. I mean, at the end of the day, the one thing that I can say that that our team had, um, our a team that we won in 14 with, is that we had a bunch of leaders and we had a bunch of guys that were talented and willing and willing to, you know, be coachable. You know, the fact that a lot of these guys and, and, and myself included were coachable and were able to listen to coaching and be able to put our own twist on it and to, and to be able to um, um, kind of navigate different ways of going about things, but all within the same goal. 
you know, we just crafted and created our own success story. And, and every week we said we were going to go out and prove that we were the best team. And especially after taking a loss early on, um, like we did my senior year, you know, it, after that it was, you know, the importance of winning every week was amplified. We had to win. It didn't matter. We had to win and we had to make a statement. And with the leadership that we had and, you know, forming around JT and, and how fast he grew that season is unbelievable. I mean, I remember that right after the national championship, I went up to JT and I said, man, thank you, man. Thank you for getting us here because this is a special moment for us, for you, and for this university. Ev, does it, you know, he's a three-time captain. They've never had one of those. I mean, yeah. he played football at Ohio State for a little That's time. For a That's for a reason. He's a special kid, and I'm so excited to watch him on Thursday. No surprise for you, though, him for what's uh, – what, what do you – you know, because one thing that we struggle with is – and I know it's – got to manage it because there is an expectation of the fan base that is just out of this world, right? I mean, like you think what's expected of you when you play at Ohio State. I, I can't – I mean, Alabama, there's Alabama. There's maybe two other programs in the country that have that. But, but there are people who, who wanted JT to leave. Like, I, I don't get it. I mean, like he's a two-time Big Ten player of the year. He's fifth in the Heisman your senior year. Uh, mm-hmm. He seems like the whole team loves him. He's a natural but leader. What What is it the fans don't see that you see? I, honestly, I mean, there's, it's tough, right? Everybody has their ups and downs. Everybody has good games and bad games. And, and especially when it's the freshest on your mind, it's easy to, you know, to point to um, some, some, some things that need to be improved upon. But, you know, JT is one of the most competitive people I've ever met. And when it comes down to it, um, he reminds me a lot of uh, an NFL reference of Alex Smith in the sense that, you know, he's always doing whatever he can to put his team in a winning winning position. And at the quarterback spot, and especially at a big-time university like Ohio State, I mean, that's all you can ask for. When you have the athletes that we have, you have the defense that we have, the DBs, you know, know, those guys up front rushing the passer, and then to be able to put the ball in JT's hands every time we're on offense, I mean, there should be no more comforting thought than that. So one of the things I was kind of curious about, I mean, I always think about this when people look at the the overall picture of Ohio State and, and what Urban Meyer's been able to do. How does Urban Meyer cultivate that? Like, what does he instill in his players to try to get them in that mindset that maybe might be different than what some other coaches do? I think it's just the way that we train in the offseason, honestly. I mean, we, we all get so close because, I mean, we're – Obviously, you know, most football teams go through off seasons together and they're around each other together and they're all right. together during um, during the summer. But, you know, just the grind that we would have to go through in terms of the off season program and then, you know, the creative ways that we have these, you know, these ways of turning into competitive reps um, and getting into, you know, maybe I'm competing against pull-ups against this guy. You know, that might be my best friend, but at the end of the day, I want to compete to be able to win something. You know, and, and that winning and that competitive nature and that aspect is just something that's perpetuated every day that you walk into the facility. So to be able to, you know, to unleash that, you know, competitiveness now on a different individual for the first time this Thursday, that's when you get to see some exciting <laughs> things happen. From then, it's just going to go on from there. Evan, how, how different was it when when Urban got there in terms of the approach to the football program than from Luke and, and Tress? It was definitely a difference. Um, I would say, you know, growing up, I got the, ch- the chance to see a lot of different coaching styles. Uh, Coach Cooper, obviously, when I was young, although I can't attest to much of those memories, <laughs> given I was so young. <laughs> um, but and then, you know, obviously, Coach Tress coming in and um, uh, Coach Fickle and then um, Coach Meyer following suit. So I got to see a lot of different strategies. When Coach Meyer came in, it was really about winning the rep, winning and competing at every point that you could, you know, from the time that he came in. And obviously, once we, once he first got there, it was a shock to everybody. You know, I, I'm pretty sure, excuse me, once we started that next season, we went 12-0, and 0, partially because we were so scared of what practice would be like the next day if we lost. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, um, you know, but, you know, having that type of mentality to where it's like, we got to do whatever we can to win a football game, you know, what really pushed us every week um, and realistically every day at practice. And it, that was all the motivation we needed. And, you know, he really came in and instilled that in us uh, at, at, at right at the drop of a hat. And, you know, we tried to take the bull by the horns and then go ahead and get better every day. And we did. And we progressed from a six and seven season my freshman year to win the national championship my senior year. So, I mean, realistically, we've been all over the map and I wouldn't have wanted it any other way. 
Yeah, I, I I I think you just put it really well. Like the evolution from where you started, you know, your football career at Ohio State to where you ended up is pretty pretty remarkable. Um, is that the expectation? Like, how difficult is to get to that point, though? Because I think Ohio State fans have that expectation that that year in year out, there's going to be zero drop off whatsoever. New guys are going to step in, no problem whatsoever. That's not a big deal. How big of a deal is it? Like, how much work does it take to get some of those news guy, new guys up, even if they are four- and five-star guys who are you know, expected to be world beaters right away? I mean, the process is tremendously difficult. You can, you know, the, the perfect illustration of that is just to watch how teams progress throughout the first couple of weeks of the season. I mean, even right. in the first, the first couple of games, you're looking at teams like Alabama and Florida State playing each other week one. You know, there's going to be a lot of sloppy mistakes in that. You know, I mean, just like the NFL preseason, you know, you watch there's 22 penalties on one team, and it's just a matter of getting back into it, grinding out through the uh, through the things that you got to grind through, and then getting back in your football shape. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, our offseason program, our um, summer conditioning program that we have is, is a very good uh, stepping stone to get us ready for camp and then the competitive nature of camp and then, God, I got to go hit the same person every day, every day, every day. Now the chains are unleashed, and now it's time to go play ball, and that's why I'm so excited for Thursday, and I, and I feel like we're going to have a good team this year. Give, give me a scouting report of this team. I mean, we look at it, and we look at the de- – I mean, I've never seen a defensive front seven like this one. I mean, I know how much talent's been through there, but they are so loaded on the defensive line. Yeah. I, I mean, I just never, never seen depth like that. Um, you know, to me, the question that – and Johnny and I have talked about this. I, you know, I need a receiver to step up, right? I mean, you've got six guys. I need some mm-hmm. guys to separate a little bit. Can you give us a scouting report of what you see on this team? I mean, in terms of the defensive side of the ball, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. You know, our defensive line is going to be barred on one of the best in the country, and I'm so excited to watch them because we have some freaking natures up there. <laughs> I mean, uh, number six, number 11, number two. I mean, I, the list can go on, you know, and saying uh, Taekwon, seeing what he gets to do. Watch Tracy come back for another year. I mean, I can't wait to watch those guys. And then the uh, – you know, the the athleticism in the secondary is is really going to be great because as those guys are getting rushes, when you know quarterbacks got to get the ball out quick and we're playing press man coverage, it's very difficult. Then all of that coupled with the fact that you have um, JT coming back with getting the ball, putting his hands every play. You know, you got Johnny on the outside, you have Paris, you have Terry, and you have a lot of developing guys up underneath them that are itching, waiting to get there to you know to really put their name on the map. It's it's going to be a special team. I mean, I I went to a couple of practices so far this season throughout camp, and you know you can you can see it. It's almost a vibe that you feel when you watch them. But you know we got a special group. How do you think maybe ahead, a guy like sorry to interrupt, um, but just real quick, how do you think a guy like Kevin Wilson might be able to help them out, especially in the passing game? I mean, my my perfect example of Kevin Wilson is uh, Coach Wilson is the fact that. You know, every year we would go up to play Indiana, it was always a dogfight. And it was always a dogfight, you know, not necessarily always because their defense was so stifling and we were trying to break them down and it just took so long to get on, drive down the field and and score points. We were able to do that more oftentimes than not, but it was because their offense was always answering. So it's going to be really comforting to know that he's on our side this year (laughs) Uh, and also comforting to know that, you know, he was going against that defense every day in camp um, for however many years he was with Indiana. So, I mean, I'm really excited to see what he can do this year. Um, I I know everybody's been placing the highest of expectations on him, but, you know, he's a great coach and and, and there shouldn't be much worry about that. He's going to get the job done. And at the end of the day, we got the guys that just want to compete. You know what I'm saying? We got the guys that just want to win football games. And, you know, when you can couple all that together, it's, it's a, good, uh, a good picture for sure. Evan, I felt when I was covering you, and I told you this off air, that like you and Josh Perry, one of you could have been a senator, the other one could be the governor. You could flop. Like you guys were so good at handling whatever Maybe we need was to run for office. I feel like this is the second time I've heard this. I'm telling you, man, I, if you need a campaign manager, I feel like I get you elected at any point as soon as you're old enough. <laughs> okay. Um, but, okay, but I'm no, ready. I mean, you, you have the skill set to, um, I, I would marvel, you know, you and Josh specifically, you know, that year you're, when you guys won, the, there was a lot of adversity that came at that team and there was a lot, and they would put you up there and you'd have, you'd talk, you're available after every game, win, lose. Um, and, and boy, did you handle yourself well. And, uh, not only that, but you were, you were somebody who's been in the pressure cooker of big time college football. And what I'm curious about is, um, now that that's not a part of your life, where have you put that passion and energy and what are you doing now? And is it fulfilling for you? Absolutely. I mean, it, it was definitely a shift 
um, after retiring and then after realizing that, you know, it's time to take the next stage and it's time to take the next step um, of my life. But that transition was obviously a transition, and I'm not going to be uh, – I'd be lying to you if I told you it was easy. But knowing that I've always had the drive within me to be a self-starter, knowing that I've always had the drive to, you know, to, to want to create my own product and make that product as, as valuable and, and, and as, good pos- as good as possible um, has always been a goal of mine. And, um, you know, when we were going out throughout college, you know, a good buddy of mine that we were roommates with freshman year, Joel Hale, uh, we played football together. Obviously you remember Joel number mm-hmm. 51. Sure. Course, yeah. He, he, he and I had, a, we were just always talking about like these opportunistic ideas, right? We were always thinking about, Oh yeah, well there's some business opportunities there, yada, yada. And, you know, they're doing something that, you know, can't be profitable or I don't know how they're making money or whatever. We were just thinking of ways to, you know, to better, whatever situations that we were observing. And then that turned into um, a very unique business opportunity with the two of us to where we started our own logistics company. And for the past eight months now, you know, we've been in operation. Uh, We're up in three different states now in multiple different warehouses. And we're basically just fulfilling cargo deliveries for warehouses that are out hiring 1099 independent contractors. And then, you know, it's kind of like me being a coach. I get to recruit and I get to interview and I get to see some of some of the guys and girls that, you know, that we're bringing on to, you know, to help our team at the end of the day fulfill these cargo deliveries and execute on deliveries and to make sure that we're all accountable. So I get to be a teacher in, in that aspect and, and all those lessons I learned from my dad early on. But then also Joel and I being able to, to get into the nit and gritty and to really make actions that we see making a difference, you know, whether that's the profit and loss sheets, whether that's, you know, the different service products we're offering, or just being able to touch more of the market. You know, it's it's really exciting to be able to do all that. And you know, we, we're working every day. We, we wake up to a text from one another saying, whatever it is we got to get done for the day, and we knock it out, and we make sure that, you know, we're putting on a good face for our company. But, you know, all while making sure that we're executing on the uh, on the routes and on demand routes and the deliveries that we have. And the name of the company is Rushman Logistics. Rushman Logistics, yes, um, it's it's our company. We started it from the ground up here in Columbus, Ohio. Awesome. We're headquartered here in Columbus, and uh, yeah, I mean it's going to be the heart of our growth, and we're really really excited. Buddy, I, you know, uh, I think I can speak for Johnny. It was a pleasure to cover you. It was a pleasure to watch you play and uh, wish you nothing but the best going forward. And we appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, 100%. Thank you so much. It was fun. Coming up next, we will give you our three things for the big game on Thursday night against the Hoosiers. But first, we want to remind you to follow the 11 Dubcast on Twitter at 11 Dubcast. Subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher and be sure to rate the podcast as well, preferably highly. Preferably, yeah. be nice. <laughs> take the time to rate. You know, give us four or five. Was it four or five stars? What's the max I, we can get? I gotta have five stars. If my, if my average goes down, my boss yells at me. So let's go. Okay, we can't have that. So let's do five stars. Do us a favor. We're doing <laughs> the best we can for you here, kids. Uh, all right, it's time to get into the big game preview. The three things we will be watching for in the game on Thursday night. I will lead these off. And uh, to me, there's going to be a theme here on this. And uh, look, I. I don't know how it could be anything other than it's offense, 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 because that's was all of last season. So the number one thing for me is tempo. Do they come out with an effective, determined approach to, I think they will, to run the ball right down Indiana's throat. And they do it with speed and tempo and basically strangle the life out of the Hoosiers. That's my first thing I'm looking for, buddy. Okay, first thing for me, I, I think tempo is a really good one, but first thing for me, I want them to get past running the ball. I think that they can get a nice, comfortably great, but I want to see how the passing game progresses. I want to see what at least the kind of schemes and stuff they're trying to run. I know they're not going to get fancy. I know they don't have to get fancy. I just want to see how the passing game progresses uh, from the beginning of this uh, game to the end. Because if they just say super vanilla, I don't know that it tells anything. If they start doing some creative things, especially with their depth chart, and they go to four wide occasionally, that's what I'll be really interested in to see how that works out. All right, number two for me, sticking with the theme, and there will be a common one here. Uh, I want to see J.K. Dobbins. He's an or. He's not a bold or on the trep, on the depth chart, but he's an or with Mike <laughs> yeah. Weber, and Weber's been nursing injuries, and all I hear about Dobbins is nothing but fantastic. Um, so my guess the way that this season will go will be a heavy dose of Weber and Dobbins running it right at you. I cannot wait to see this kid play. I hope that 
everything I'm hearing about him is true. And he's as dynamic and special as, as I've kind of been led to believe by people I trust because everything I hear is spectacular and that the kid's a game breaker. It's a lot to put on a true freshman, but everything you hear is that he's ready for it. Um, so I can't wait to see that kid play on Thursday night. Uh, my number two thing, I'm going to put on the, the Jim Trestle sweater vest. I, I think the kicking game is actually really of note to me. I mean, you're breaking oh, a yeah. new punter. The mm-hmm. kicking, the, the field goal unit kind of fell off a cliff towards the end of the season last year. I want to see how they perform. I, I hope a lot of those things have been fixed and that they will be able to be relied upon in games that maybe aren't, you know, played against 20 point dogs. So, yeah, I, I want to see how that works out. And, you know, even if they get the opportunity to use them a little bit. All right. Finally, for me, it's JT Barrett. And what I there was a game back when uh, Peyton Manning's first year with Denver when he was, had a monster year. And uh, I remember seeing the stat line, and it was something like um, 18 of 20, 246 yards, five touchdowns. And you th- I remember thinking, my God, how can you, what a, what a, how do you beat that line? You know, like just ridiculously efficient line. And that's what I want to see out of JT Barrett in week one. I, I don't want him to throw it 28 times or 35 times. I want to see him throw it 20 times, complete 16 of them. 225 yards and four scores. I just want to see a really efficient, because to me, that's the recipe for success for this team, is not for him throwing it 35 times, running it 15 times. I I have no interest in that in terms of them over the course of this season being what I think they can be. So I would love to see like a 16 to 20. That's high expectation, obviously, but a 16 to 20, 220 yards, four touchdown. I'd love to see that out of Barrett, and I can't wait to see how he plays in this offense. Yeah, all eyes on JT. That's my number three as well. Uh, I just I, I want to see classic JT Barrett. No worrying about who's you know coming in behind him. No worrying about trying to like make a billion things happen. Just do what you do best. Go back to 2014. You know, do be really efficient. And and not only that, but my favorite thing about JT Barrett as a quarterback is how well he spreads the ball around. I want to see everybody get catches. And uh, that'll that'll make me satisfied. I don't need him to be a world beater. I just want him to be JT Barrett. And if we see that, I think I'll be pretty happy. All right. So those are the three things we will be looking for in Thursday's night's game against the Hoosiers. A couple of house cleaning things at the end here. We'll get to Thrones in a second. But first of all, I have to acknowledge Kyle Snyder. Um, I, I know you and I just marvel at this kid. Ugh. And he is a, so um, you know, it's hard to put into context. After it happened on Saturday, I tweeted something to the effect of, um, with without hyperbole, at without an ounce of hyperbole, he is on the same track as Jack Nicholas and Jesse Owens, and and let that marinate and think about who this kid is. Like he is, he is Katie Ledecky, he is Michael yeah. Phelps. Um, this kid isn't is the world's greatest wrestler, and he's a senior at Ohio State. Think yeah. about that. My favorite tweet, I think you might have said it, uh, was that, I mean, imagine these poor guys who have to go and wrestle them, like all these poor <laughs> college kids who are going to spend the winter just getting completely owned by Kyle Snyder, the best wrestler in the world, pound for pound. Like, I that hope is, that there is a bonanza at his matches this yeah, winter. Yeah, ha- there has to be. Ohio State has to do it up. I mean, it, it would not be fair to him if they didn't. Yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, I hope usually you think about this. I mean, we've been lucky at, at Ohio State. I mean, you talk about great amateurs and Olympic or non non revenue sports. You know, golf. You think about Jesse. We've had Jesse Owens and we've had Jack Nicholas, and now we have this kid. Yeah, like it, it's unbelievable you know. what he's been able to accomplish. And really, I mean, going against the guy they did, that really there is no doubt. I mean, the Russian that he wrestled was by far overall consensus pound for pound best wrestler in the world and for in some people's eyes it wasn't even close like he was supposed to be the best and while Kyle mm-hmm. Kyle Snyder was considered to be very 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 good he wasn't at that guy's level and pulling off that takedown with about a minute mm-hmm. left the way he did uh just real just like snap to it uh it was it was really a cool thing to watch um yeah I mean that's it he's just he's unbelievably difficult to wrestle because of how aggressive he he wrestles how how easily he gets people uh, down. Um, there really isn't any other wrestler in the world that can match his physicality. And watching him wrestle, it's just it's it's like watching a, a caged animal like be unleashed. It's nuts. It is absolutely crazy you, to watch his matches. Everybody should get out there this winter and, and see him do his thing. Are you old enough to remember Alexander Karelin? I'm not. I, I'm old enough to remember Rulon Gardner taking him out, but I, I did not okay. see Karelin uh, wrestle in his prime. 
Yeah. So I'm a little older than you and I do. And um, so I think he was a three-time Olympic gold medalist. He, he's the greatest wrestler in the history of the world. It's what yeah. he is. I mean, he's, that's what he is. Um, and when he would go in the Olympics, like even though, I mean, he was a Russian, you didn't, you as a kid growing up, you didn't even, it didn't even make sense to you. And when Gardner beat him, it was the most stunning upset in the history of the world. It was Buster Douglas times a thousand. I mean, there was no way <laughs> yeah. anybody, especially some kid from Utah or pudgy kid was going to beat you know alexander Karelin and sydney like it just didn't make sense but Karelin was older at that point and i think it was his fourth olympiad i could be wrong i'm sure someone will yeah, tell he me had dominated him. for like two decades like, oh yeah like 20 years nobody for over 20 years he was unbeatable for 20 years kyle snyder has a chance to have that type of career if he wants to yes and i mean that's that would be like saying that somebody could have the same career as babe ruth because that's who alexander Karelin is right i mean that that's what kind of what we're talking about so um, if it's not, I'm, I know everybody who listens to this, I'm sure paid attention on Saturday and, and, but take advantage this winter of this kid and, and understand the greatness that is in your vicinity, uh, right there in Columbus. Um, all right. So we've done this all summer. We did our game of Thrones wrap up. We will do a shorter one now because obviously we're running long on time and it's football season. We'll keep it quicker. Uh, but the season finale was this Sunday. Um, you, you and I had some foreshadowing on this a couple of weeks ago. And yeah. um, my inclination was that this was going to be kind of a traditional play here at the end. And you as a book reader hoped that it would not. And it turned out that to this point, it kind of looks like it's going to be. Yeah. Super conventional. And that's, and that's disappointing for me. It's also disappointing when you see some characters like acting in ways that really don't, that are completely nonsensical to me, like Tyrion in any way, trusting his sister not to just completely renege on that deal is so no. dumb to me. Like you, I, I don't know what the you writers think were thinking. Like think... Tyrion's just gonna be like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, sure. She'll just do that out of selflessness. Do you think <laughs> he turned? I kind of wonder if he turned. Did you see him looking at John and Danny doing the nasty and kind of having, I yeah. wonder if he turned. That would be a team cool plot twist. I would actually think that'd be an awesome plot twist. If they do that, if they go that route, I would give them total props for that. I don't think they will, but that would be really, really interesting. I think that. Yeah. Be I didn't cool. understand him like looking at them as they were getting it on. Like he doesn't have any information that it's incest or not that he would right. care too much. His brother and sister do it. So, but it was weird that he like seemed to like have a real problem with it. Yeah. It's like, he's getting pushed to the side a little bit. If he does, if that's actually where they're going with that plot, I would be super on board with that. I think that'd be a great way to go. Um, I thought but, the, the, the Stark sisters was, um, that was one that after last Sunday's episode, I, a week ago, Sunday's episode, I was like, it didn't make sense at all what Ari was doing. Then it came to me, clearly this is a big plot, you know, to get Littlefinger. And then that's the way it played out. And that was a pretty satisfying, you know, when they looked at him, the look at that, that was great acting by all involved, right? Yeah, his, that was pretty solid. Littlefinger's double take when Sansa yeah. drops that on him was completely <laughs> was worth the fact that the storyline overall was kind of half baked, but him just like completely getting uh, like that, that made me laugh more than anything else. I think all season. And uh, he was finally cornered. The, the only thing that sucks is that it just feels like you wish they would have had a full season to flesh that out. Like there were a lot of conversations oh, yeah. between Sansa and Arya. Like I couldn't really tell when Sansa put it together. Right. Because they had some yeah. of those arguments in private where Littlefinger's not like snooping in with a you know microphone or something. Um, mm -hmm. So I don't, I don't really know when that came to fruition and how on board Arya was, but uh, the end result was pretty, pretty funny and, and really no other way for him to leave this season. Yeah, I mean, he was not. There was, some, there was some really good foreshadowing. If you go back to, I think, first or second episode when John's telling her about Littlefinger and she says only a fool would trust Littlefinger. So that great. They're, they gave you little breadcrumbs along the way. Uh, the Night King's a problem. He's got a blue fire-breathing dragon. I mean, it's a yeah. problem. I mean, this is a real problem. I'm, I, you knew they had to keep Cersei around. I've been predicting that from Jump Street just because there's no character development on the White Walker side. So it's just not, it's not particularly interesting storytelling, right? right. I mean, it's just not. Like you, they, we don't, they don't have personality, so there's no strategy. They're just this evil thing that's walking towards you. So... Um, when you rely, then that means you have to rely on the human element and the politics, which is what we all love about the show. So Cersei had to stay along. Some of our favorite people are going to die next year. None of them died this season. I mean, none. They're all yeah. still alive. Tormund's still alive. I can't believe Tormund's still alive. Like Gendry, the Hound, all of them. They're all still alive. I could not believe that all those people came out unscathed. 
No, well, I, <laughs> it's funny because when they were like walking towards the dragon pits, a lot of them couldn't believe that they were unscathed either. Like they were talking yeah. to each other, like, how are you still around? Like, how is this right. possible? Right. Uh, so yeah, that was a little nonsensical too. I, I it's kind of weird that they they want to keep these favorites around to the very, very, very end. I mean, either that means there's going to be a really high body count or it means that, you know, they've kind of settled on their main cast and they just want to kind of keep them until the end. I don't know. I don't know how they're going to play that. Um, I mean, maybe they'll go back, you know, like, you know, Dr. Dre saying like bring him back to the old me, you know, like they're just gonna, yeah. they're just gonna kill everybody off, but uh, that would be a pretty hardcore way to spend the next six episodes. So I'm, in spite of myself, I'm still a little sad that it's gone more conventional than I would have hoped. Oh, and I think some I'm of the plotting is, is still a little, uh, you know, half baked this season. I'm still excited for where it's going and, and how it'll all turn out. Yeah, it's the most ambitious show I've ever seen on television. It's one of the, it's the far, most enjoyable yeah. show I've ever watched. Um, it reminds me a little bit, you know, this half season reminds me very much of how the Sopranos split their season. Like this very easily could have been the the first half of a 13 episode season. Right. Um, really. Or they could have just made all of the information in these six episodes, 10 episodes, because there was right. plenty of it that they glossed over. Um, but apparently the reason for that is because these actors get paid per episode. And mm-hmm. so by doing these supersized episodes, like these hour, 25 minute episodes, they felt like they could get everything done and save a little money on the salary for the actors because the actors get paid per episode. Which I think is silly because at this point, I don't think money should really be a consideration for Game of Thrones. I mean, they're going to be making bank on whatever they do. Like spend no. spend the extra five million. Who cares? Like it's going to, you know. Oh, right. So. Yeah. CGI dragons can't be cheap. I will say no. that. <laughs> right. That well, can't be no. cheap. That's why there's no that ghost this season. So. Yeah, that's a good point. We did not see ghosts, and I think he's got to play a huge role going forward. Um, yeah. So we're let's wrap it up this way. What? How does this end? What's your prediction on how this ends? I think we got about eighteen months probably it. before we get it. Let's say again. We got about eighteen months probably before we get it. Right. You're, it's late twenty eighteen, early twenty nineteen. I I really think that you're going to have some kind of. I mean, George R. R. Martin has said with the books, it's going to be a bittersweet ending, which to me suggests that. You know, the overall threat will go away. I think the the White Walkers will ultimately be defeated and the Night's King will go down and then that'll be, you know, and maybe the seasons of Westeros will stabilize and you'll actually have like, you know, regular kind of thing. But ultimately, I think one of John or Danny is going to die. At least one of them is going to die. And I also think that, um, I don't, and you know, I, I really want them to get back to the traditional you know, a song of ice and fire kind of stuff where it is really difficult and everything's bad, but I do think they'll continue to be conventional. I think you'll see the showdown uh, between the nice King and probably John after Danny dies. And then I don't think you'll see John on the iron throne. I think you'll probably see maybe a figurehead or somebody unexpected. Uh, But I will think you, I I do think that you'll see the house system like almost collapse to the point where there's very few left. Um, And then it's a much more peaceful Westeros, but maybe not forever. and, And maybe not everything gets solved that way. So I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go that Danny's the one who survives. I've always okay. felt this was John's story, but I, th- I think that there's enough hints along the way, enough breadcrumbs to say that his story ends with him sacrificing his life for the greater good. He's tried to okay. do it a million times. Um, so, so I have. I think that John. John's clearly going to kill the Night King, but in pr- the process, maybe that kills him too. And um, I think Danny ends up on the throne with John's baby as the heir apparent, and they go that way. So that's 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 my kind of thinking the way this thing's going to go that John will go down, Danny will survive. Um and and that's kind of the way that it'll go. Um how they get there cuz they boy there's not a whole lot of hot left, you know, in terms of no. you know basically we t- we got to take out these ni- the the white walkers and that's it. So that's the task at hand for them, but it, it I'll miss the hell out of it. It's a fixture of my Sunday nights. I enjoy the heck out of it and um it's going to be tough to not have it there, my friend. Yeah, same. I'm I'm excited to see how it ends, but it's you know, hopefully George R. R. Martin gets the next book out before the, the season. That would be nice. Yeah, that's I don't certainly see that nice. happening, but it might. No. You know, we, no. we might be able to, you know, enjoy both aspects of uh, Game of Thrones, I guess. All right. We appreciate you listening. This was the 11 Dubcast presented by Safe Light Auto Glass. Keep the drive going with Safe Light. Johnny, we will talk next week and we'll have a game to dissect and another one to look forward to, my friend. I'll talk to you next week. Yep. Talk to you next week. It's football season.